Welcome to Wheel to Wheel F1. I'm Noah Hicks, joined by Tanner Hicks and Lance Ellington, and this is the French Grand Prix race reaction. We just saw Charles Leclerc crash out of the Drivers' Championship. Oh, I meant the French Grand Prix, and lose the race to Max Verstappen. Seeing him take home another win, we're seeing a Mercedes double podium with Lewis coming in second, like I predicted. Got to toot my own horn from the start. But guys, how are you doing? Initial reactions on the race, you know, the whole gambit. Lance, what do you got? The race is a lot to unpack. I'm really glad I do a podcast where I get to talk about Formula One because there's just so many bits and pieces to get into from this race even though the coverage at time was extremely poor, even though overtakes were lacking in the middle of the race, there's still a ton of storylines. And this was a very overall impactful race to the standings this season, to how teams are going to be feeling going into a summer break, even though we have one more race. So that's where I'm at with the race. I did enjoy it. Tanner, how are you feeling? Yeah. You know, I'm in a similar boat to you. The race was fun overall. It could have been better. But more than anything, this race just had implications on implications on implications on the driver standings, on the constructor standings, on how to read some of these teams. And we, we've talked about in some of our podcasts in the past about how it's midseason and we still aren't sure in, of the quality of certain drivers or of the quality of a certain car. And I think this race started to make that all a little bit more clear um in, in terms of expectations for the rest of the season so it was an interesting one there's a lot to unpack like you said um more than anything i'm just i'm just sorry for noah that was a rough rough race for ferrari yeah i didn't enjoy it i, I really didn't I, I had a good saturday you know we went in knowing that carlos signs was going to start from the back of the grid And so he's like, I'm going to be team player on Saturday. I'm going to give Charles a toe. He did it. Leclerc qualified P1 partially thanks due to the toe. uh, Beautifully executed. Then we get into the race. Charles, uh, most races, even when Leclerc starts in P1, Max gets away super well at the race start. This race, clean Leclerc was in front. He gets away super clean and then loses the back of the car around lap 20, 25 or something like that. Crashes out. Signs is charging up from P19. Gets up to P3 very briefly. Pits for, you know, a reason. Uh, not a good one, but pits for a reason. The Ferrari thought he couldn't last on the tires that he had. He probably could have, um, but they didn't think so. And so he ends up coming P5, and uh, it's not great. It's not great. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know how you do it as a Ferrari fan. I, I really don't. I, I don't know your pain. I don't know the struggles. I saw this happen once with Lando last year when he was leading the race. Rain came, I think it was in Russia, and he ended up not you know, being able to win. And now I believe this is the – third race just this season in which Charles Leclerc was leading the race and then ended up retiring because you know reliability issues his driver error today shall we say and I just I couldn't imagine that it has to be tough as a fan watching it I was gutted uh, not even being a Ferrari fan just being a fan of Formula One and then hearing that radio message the the crashing into the wall just like the the heavy breathing into the deep scream you can hear the pain. You can feel it. It's, it was tough. Reminded me. I, I, I don't know. That was, that was tough. Tanner, what, what do you think of Ferrari right now? Uh, they mucked it up uh, is the best way to put it. They mucked it up. This was, this was their race to lose, quite frankly. Um, I think we saw from science's pace, not only during qualifying and the practices, but certainly during the race. And we saw from Leclerc getting pole this weekend. It was their race to lose. They were the quickest car on this track. Um, and Charles, unfortunate. I, it happens. People make mistakes. Uh, this was a costly one. This is a costly one. Um, a lot of times sports is about minimizing your errors and making sure that if you miss that you, you have a 
recovery path. That that wasn't the case today for Ferrari. Their recovery path was Carlos Sainz, maybe getting a podium, maybe getting a P4 or something like that. Um, to say that starting in P19 and finishing P5 is a disappointment seems really harsh. That's the reality of this race. Carlos Sainz was so fast today and finishing P5 after after seeing everything that went down during the race i'm disappointed that he couldn't do better and it wasn't carlos Sainz's fault it was ferrari's so so that that one that one's gotta hurt it's not fun uh to to be a ferrari fan right now yeah you know with the whole damage limitation safety net whatever you want to call it it's tough i i i the the easy comparison, the direct comparison for Charles Leclerc is going to be Max Verstappen. It just is. And you know who doesn't do that? Or you know who didn't do that once last year? Max Verstappen. And that's why he won the Drivers' Championship. And, and so it's tough. It's super tough. Uh, but, you know, Charles will learn. He it, It's clear that he cares. It's clear that he has the talent. And so, you know... That's that's part of why I like him. You know, he's real. He he takes things to heart. He's able to accept blame. You know, he's a real person. Um, so so I like that. Um, but it's tough. I don't. It's not fun. <laughs> Charles Leclerc. He's a guy you want. You want kids to model after. Take ownership for their mistakes. Come back. Do better. Continue to compete. You know, be hard on themselves, but be realistic with the picture of it but it's tough. It's a, it's not a fun pill digest. It's not something you want to see, especially like you said, when you're comparing it to Max Verstappen, I mean, the silver lining as Tanner was putting it is Ferrari did have the pace. They did have the right car. They had everything right for them this weekend when it came to the car. Now, everything outside of that seemed to go wrong and it seems to be that way for the season. It is a little bit like a cursed season for Ferrari, if I'm being honest, just between not getting out of their own ways, reliability issues, racing in a time of Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton probably isn't helping them. So it's just kind of unfortunate, all of these things colliding at once. But that being said, there's plenty of other teams we can get into. And after Ferrari, I guess we can just jump right into Red Bull and what's going on there. Now with this race, the Constructors' Championship lead is what? It's like 80 points, a little over. It's like 82 points right now. The Drivers' Championship for Max, he's now up 63 points on Charles Leclerc, which is quite a bit of points, even though we do have about 10 races left. This was a big win for Red Bull today. Max Verstappen did what needed to be done. I don't want to say he showed anything extremely impressive or unimpressive. He was just consistent with his car. He had the pace. He had the position from Quali. Once Charles was out, the ship, you know, drove itself. And then getting into his partner, though, in Sergio Perez and Checo, he, he had an interesting race, right? He thought he may be catching Lewis at times, and then he started to lose some speed. Maybe the tires weren't coming to him like he was hoping for. And George Russell came into frame. And what happened there, Tanner? Take us through what happened with Checo and George Russell on the track today. Okay, so so first of all, uh, we got coverage on the fight between Checo and Russell way too early. We missed overtakes further back in the grid. That wasn't the best. So that that that's the very beginning of it. Second of all, it was it must have been it was under ten laps to go, and George Russell dive bombs Sergio Perez, and there's no other way to put it. He dive bombed him, and he left Sergio Perez no room whatsoever. Sergio bailed out and George went to his radio saying, mommy, he hit me. And he was just upset. He was livid with Paris. He thought he was in the right. He was not. And Toto told him to shut up and go and drive. And then eventually he shut up, he drove, he got past Paris and came home with P3. So it was an interesting battle. It was entertaining. It was, it was good entertainment for the TV, but that, that was my perspective on it. I think George was being petulant. I think he absolutely dive bombed Perez. And if anybody should have gotten a penalty there, it should have been George. That's not the way he saw it both during and after the race in his post-race uh, interview. Yeah. You know, he'll look at the video and he'll see that he did not have the corner like he thought he did. It's easy to think that he did because he was nearly ahead 
But in that type of overtake, in that chicane, leaving someone with no room means they either turn off or they stop the car or they wreck. Uh, that's, that's not the way to overtake. Uh, that, that leads to penalties and accidents. And so well done from Checo there to avoid it. Um, but you neglected to mention the specifics around George's actual overtake on, on Checo, which was right as the virtual safety car ended following Joe Guan Yu's retirement, maybe. Yep. Um, and, and so it was right as it ended and George kind of caught Checo napping. He's, he's already been pretty loud about his complaints there around, you know, the green light from the virtual safety car ending. Um, but I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> one, one of my, probably my favorite moment from the race was that overtake. Yeah. Um, I just, and, and it was the, just mind, the mind game that was played going up to that of George Russell, like slowing down, you know, really getting some distance in between the two cars while they're in this, uh, like Delta that they have to drive between during the virtual safety car speeding back up. It was really interesting. I don't know what George Russell, if he was playing a mind game or if he was just, yeah, I don't know. But you got to be, you got to be tough on Checo here. I feel like really smart, avoiding a, a bigger incidence there at the chicane, getting to give him his props and uh, appreciate him being a mature driver with some experience in Formula One there. But man, coming out of the virtual safety car, you got to be a lot more prepared when you're sitting there in P3. Like, I just, I don't know what else to say. That was. That was his spot to lose. It wasn't Checo's day. It, it, it really wasn't. It wasn't his weekend. He had a better qualifying than he expected based off of uh, free practice, which mean, meant he qualified in third, which still isn't great. I mean, it's fine knowing him, but like, it's fine. And then he fell, fell back immediately with Hamilton overtaking him and never was able to gain that place back. Pretty poor from Checo, especially knowing how much faster the Red Bull is than the Mercedes. Should just be. my opinion. Should how be, how sure. much faster it should be. Um, yeah, no. I, it, I mean, it was, how many seconds did Verstappen win by? I don't know. Probably like probably close. To I 10, think it was yeah. 10. Yeah, it was around. Yeah, 10 like nine, 9 or 10 after a, after a safety car. Like, <laughs> Checo should be faster. No, he absolutely should be. There wasn't any damage to his car that we were aware of. So yeah, long story short, he had a bad weekend and yeah, saying he was caught napping is an understatement. Man was asleep at the wheel. Um, and, and George was just, you know, ready to go like a professional formula one driver probably should be. Yeah. But let's go further down into the points. We can talk about Alpine and McLaren double points. I think McLaren bringing some upgrades this week and it showed it, it showed reliability and it showed pace. Uh, un unfortunately, that didn't mean either of the, their drivers were able to beat uh, Fernando Alonso. Lando finishing in P7 ahead of Esteban Alcon, which was good, good performance. Nothing too much of note. Um, but, you know, we saw Esteban Alcon crash into Yuki Sonoda, ending his race pretty early on, which... Just poor Yuki. I, I just felt bad. Yeah. Got into Q3. It was, it was impressive. We're jumping around here a lot. Um, so we get, I'll, I'll hit on the Yuki point because that should be short and sweet. Yuki had a great Saturday. He got P8 in the AlphaTar in a day where we saw Pierre Gasly qualify P16. So a huge difference. Eight places difference between the two of them. In a weekend when AlphaTar brought, I think, five upgrades with their car, with different things going on. Don't know exactly what all was contained there. So props to Yuki, unfortunate. I don't know if he for sure would have finished in points, but I don't know. I really like him for a 10th place finish if he wasn't going out. That's really what I think. If you think about the pace that he had in the cars behind him and what happened with Magnuson starting from the back, we saw Lance Stroll get 10th. With Yuki starting as high as he was, there's a good chance that's the guy who's getting 10th and taking home the one point there. So struggles for him in a season that hasn't had a ton of bright spots. On the Alpine and McLaren note, I, I'm sad. I, I knew Alpine was going to jump us this weekend. Um, I was really happy after Saturday, and I thought maybe not. Maybe we'd be the ones. I got my hopes up. 
Luckily, they're only ahead by, I think, four points on McLaren and the Constructors, and I expect this to be a battle that lasts up until the excuse me, up until the final race, which is really exciting. Alonso had a great start to the race coming off the grid, got ahead of Lando Norris, even ahead of some other drivers on the grid, eventually falling back and sticking ahead of Lando for majority of the race. That gap was really never able to be closed. And then Esteban Ocon had his incident, which I, we can get more into, but specifically on him, never really catching Norris. And then eventually catching Daniel Ricardo, despite his five-second penalty that he had and passing him. Hard to make up about with these cars and the pace that they had because it seemed like the gaps were consistent. So props where props is due, Ocon making an overtake, having a great race uh, in his home country. Tanner, how, how are you feeling as the Alpine driver? As, as the Alpine, the resident uh, Alpine yeah. fan of the yeah. – I'd love to be an Alpine driver. Um, <laughs> as, as the resident fan. Alpine fan of the pod – uh, I, I'm happy. I mean, there's there's absolutely nothing that to be unhappy with for this race for Alpine. Fernando finally gets over his unlucky streak um, and, you know, puts in the result that uh, that we've expected to see him in based on all of his practice and qualifying performances over the last uh, few races. So that's always nice to see finally, you know, again, I can't stress enough getting over that unlucky hump. So that was really nice. Um, and let, let's hold off on unpacking the Yuki Akon incident for later, because I, I think we all have a lot to say about it. It was very unfortunate. Akon was in the wrong. He did have a strong race, but yeah, he was absolutely in the wrong, but we can get more into that later. Yep. Yep. We can. Um, yeah. It's uh, more excitement between you guys' favorite teams, Alpine and McLaren. A lot to unpack with both of them. I thought all drivers, barring maybe five laps from Daniel Ricciardo, were, were impressive throughout the whole weekend. Uh, I don't know what happened with Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, one second he was – or one lap he was a few laps or, – or a couple seconds ahead of Esteban Ocon, and then a few laps later – he was five seconds behind Alcon and Lance Stroll was in DRS range, which was weird. Don't really know what happened there. Again, didn't really get coverage for it. But uh, but yeah, and so that leads me to our final point score, a surprise in Lance Stroll fighting his teammate up until the last turn on the final lap. But impressive and quiet race from Lance Stroll nabbing a point moving <laughs> moving him into I think it's four points on the year ahead of Alex Albon and behind Joe Guan Yu real real tight battle between those guys um but you know good for Lance Stroll good for Aston Martin you know they don't expect points on any given weekend so impressive performance from them putting everything together reliability wise and being in the hunt for points. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that takes us up to most of the storylines. You know, there were some other drivers who had, you know, interesting races, but not particularly noteworthy. Um, so I think we can jump into our checkered flags. Um, Lance, would you like to give your checkered flag first? Yeah. Happy to give a checkered flag. And as I know, we're a newer podcast that's continued to grow. When we give out checkered flags here, we're giving it to guys who had an unexpected weekend in a positive way, had some you know, great finish, a great race, some great overtake, something like that, a little bit like driver of the day, but we're hoping to be a bit more accurate and a little bit less emotional with it. So we're not always going to give it to the guy who wins the Grand Prix. This weekend, I'm going to give my checkered flag to Carlos Sainz from going from P19 to P5, and I believe he drove a race, had a car, had the skill of a P19 to P3 finish, even though that did not happen. I was very impressed all around with his weekend. He made the race exciting for me going through the field and having those overtakes because through the middle of it, there was not a ton to get excited about, I thought. So I really appreciated Carlos Sainz for that reason alone. And then just Ferrari really messing up his race as a whole between getting him that five-second penalty and not letting him out and then mixing up the pit stop, not pitting him earlier enough for that second pit stop to get new tires 
trying to pit him in the midst of overtaking Checo Perez was just really, it was just all a mess. I thought Ferrari did not look good. They didn't look like a formula one team. They looked like a uninformed, uncoordinated, unstructured minor league baseball team from the backwoods of South Carolina. It just wasn't great. So Carlos Sainz did what he could despite others trying to mess up his race. So he gets the checkered flag for me. Yep. Full endorsement. Man was the fastest guy on the track today um, and didn't deserve uh, as low as a P5 result. Uh, Yeah. Good job by Carlos Sainz. God damn it, Ferrari. Um, Anyways, I'll jump into my checkered flag. So for my checkered flag, mine's going to go to the team of Mercedes. And I'm going to say it real quick. Lewis Hamilton had the better race, finished higher than George Russell, all that. But I didn't find his race particularly interesting. So most of my Mercedes checkered flag goes to George Russell because he pulled off what I thought was maybe the funniest overtake all year. Catching Checo napping was just hilarious to me. And I thought it was awesome. So, um, I'm taking the noteworthy performance out of it. You know, good job by Lewis. Yeah, you're a knight. You're knighted in England, whatever. Eight, seven-time world championship. Good for you, buddy. Um, but but George Russell was funny to me. So so it goes to the full team of Mercedes, but really mostly thanks to the one moment from George Russell. I think that's fair. I think that's fair uh, to drum up. Lewis Hamilton just a little bit more because out of the two, he would have gotten my checkered flag. Um, I think, you know, had Charles Leclerc not spun out of the race, Lewis still would have gotten his fourth podium in the, in a row. And uh, that wasn't very contested. Um, He finished in P2, which in a Mercedes car is a very, very strong feat. And so I I just want to keep writing that home. He had a stronger weekend all the way around uh, than uh, George Russell. George Russell getting out qualified by Lando Norris as well. Um, so j- just wanted to drum up Lewis a little bit in his weekend because he had one of, if yeah, one of the strongest weekends out there. No, I agree. Mercedes is well-deserved. I'm sure that our big Mercedes fans who are listening, our Lewis Hamilton fans are frustrated that we didn't talk about them more, but we all know the checkered flag was coming their way for us to discuss this race. Like you said, Hamilton, fourth podium in a row and his 300th Grand Prix. I think this makes 187 podiums for him in his career, which is a great feat. Just a great race. Toto Wolf has to be really happy with the results. Mercedes has come a long way from where they started this season to the performances they've had really over the last, I don't know, five races or so they've had a driver in each podium. So very impressive. And one thing I'm curious about is with this constructor's they were luckily able to make up some ground on Charles Leclerc today and on Ferrari with the incidents that took place and the great finishes by Mercedes. They're now 44 points back. And if they can make up a little bit more ground next week for whatever reason, or bring in some more upgrades as we see this car get better each week, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to Mercedes and how far they're able to push this car and push this team to uh, be consistent at the top of the grid and potentially catch Ferrari. Not going to say I'm a, you know, full believer of that happening, but I'm not someone who would want to bet against that. I think that's fair. I think, I think it's time for us to stop saying, Oh, Ferrari has had their streak of unluckiness or stupid decisions. And that because it's a long season that it's going to round out and it's going to look more like a bell curve. It's not, (laughs) they're making bad decisions. They're getting unlucky because their engine is less reliable and Um, and Mercedes aren't making bad decisions and their engine is the most reliable engine on the grid. So, you know, it's always a possibility. But talk about that. Like how does Mercedes never have problems? They have not had a strategy error, a tire error, anything once this year. It's insane. Does it, I mean, Tell me if I'm wrong, but does it have to be more complex an answer than German engineering? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, that's enough. That's good enough for me. 
<laughs> I was going to say it comes down to the company and culture and the values that they import in their employees every day. No, I'm just kidding. So German engineering. <laughs> so German engineering and billions of dollars. I think that's what it is. I mean, yeah, because you really can't say, oh, experience in the sport or something like this, because we're talking about Ferrari, who has as much experience as anyone in Formula One. They have the billions of dollars to be competitive. They have all these things that you think should be going for them where they should really be the team with the leg up more often than not. But that's not the case whatsoever. Yep. Yep. Not much more to say that we haven't said already in in that sense. Um, Just a huge gap. Yeah. Just just a little bit of a chasm between them. Um, But with that, I'll get into our final checkered flag now. We, we've all agreed this is kind of a two checkered flag race with Mercedes putting on a show and Carlos Sainz putting on a show. But with that said, our final checkered flag of the day, or at least my checkered flag of the day, is going to go to Lance Stroll. We said it earlier. It's a huge feat anytime Aston Martin gets a car into the points. And yes, there were retirements in front of him, but Lance Stroll was quicker than all of the other teams that he and drivers that he was directly competing with. And I think that warrants some recognition, pulled off some nice overtakes at the beginning of the race, didn't put a foot wrong in terms of strategy and, and managed to have a fun battle with his teammate at the end of the race. So, you know, always fun to see that always fun to uh, give a driver credit for, for battling and eventually beating uh, a former driver's champion. So with all that said, yeah, my checkered flag goes to Lance Stroll. Yeah, and I think it's deserved, right? You don't, like I said, you don't see Lance Stroll or Aston Martin in the points much anymore. So that's impressive, first off. Second off, a lot of times, I mean, the three other times that we've seen Lance Stroll score points this year, it's been due to tire conservation strategies. So, you know, he can last longer than other guys. And, I, and that wasn't the case today. He was there on pure pace. And I think that's something to note. So that, that's why I think it is a good checkered flag to give out. Well-deserved by Lance Stroll. I think this may even be his second or third. We'll have to go back and count him during the summer break and see where they've all lined. But yeah, getting, getting into the top 10 in that Aston Martin, getting some points or getting a point. And being ahead of other drivers that I honestly, you know, there's a lot of guys I would have thought would be in that 10th spot out of everyone on the track other than Lance Stroll, whether that be Pierre Gasly, Valtteri Bottas, Kevin Magnussen, his teammate Sebastian Vettel. But no, it's Lance Stroll who's sitting there. So we have to get the props when someone, you know, overperforms our expectations and able to stick that card where he has. Those are our checkered flags. I want to get in some overreactions because we have a lot to talk about. Let's do it. I will, I'll start off on a light one. Looking into Red Bull and what's been going on with Max Verstappen just really running away with the Drivers' Championship. As a team, they've been running away with the Constructors' Championship a bit, continuing just to build that gap between them versus the rest of the field at this point. Not saying they're going to win it entirely at this point or it's guaranteed. But I want to take a look at the two drivers. Sergio Perez has been struggling a little bit, whether that's been to reliability issues, accidents, just not having the best weekend overall. And so nat- naturally, I'm going to overreact to what we saw this weekend with him losing out, being s- so far behind Max, the farthest he's been behind Max, I think, all year. I think Checo is losing pace. He's struggling. I think he's the sole reason that Red Bull is vulnerable and has the door open for Ferrari to come back and win the Constructors' Championship. He is the only reason that there is a chance. Tanner, is that an overreaction to say? No, no, I, I don't think that's an overreaction to say. Um, I, I think everybody who listens to this podcast, especially including the two of you, know that I think that Max Verstappen is the best driver on the grid. And whether or not the Red Bull is the quickest car, the best driver on the grid goes a long way in your Constructors' Championship conversation. Um, you know, the only thing that I would pull back on it in your argument is whether or not Ferrari still has a chance at the constructors championship. Um, but I mean, the fact that we're discussing it and the fact that we're discussing the possibility, yeah, it's because of Checo Perez, like in formula one, you have to make advantage, take advantage of your opportunities. Sergio Perez had an opportunity this race with Carlos Sainz starting at the back of the grid. 
and Charles Leclerc sliding out of the race to go home and grab P2 or, or at least P3. And he couldn't do that. He was slower than both Mercedes drivers. Um, and, you know, that's that's something that has to be mentioned. So, no, I don't think it's an overreaction. Yeah, I agree with Tanner. I don't think it's an overreaction. I think when you look at any constructor who's competing for the constructor's championship or the driver's championship, they go hand in hand. Their job, so Red Bull's job, is to make a championship winning car. And quite simply, Checo's not capable of that. So if they fail to win the constructor's championship, They've made the championship winning car. It, 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 it comes down to the driver. So they need more from him. This was a really bad weekend from him, but he finished the race. He finished the race. That, that, that's where as a Ferrari fan, I, I struggle to be so critical because we get zero points from Charles Leclerc today. And, and so, and that happens, you know, once a race once every couple races for ferrari drivers where somebody doesn't finish and whether or not checo perez has a bad race he's still finishing most of them so uh it's you know yes it's it's not an overreaction but uh (laughs) no fair enough i don't want to sound like i'm being too critical or that we're being too critical of checo because he is still third in the driver's championship he is only seven back seven points back from Charles Leclerc in the driver's championship. So he's had a great season. I'm just pointing out that he is the weak link, which isn't saying much when Max Verstappen is the number one driver on your team. We're going to go ahead and jump into another overreaction dealing with a different constructor. Looking at Ferrari and all the ups and downs they've had this season between all the polls Charles Leclerc has had, all the reliability issues they've had, the different strategy issues, and they're still, you know, 80 so eighty points or so back from Red Bull Racing. Noah, I'm going to start with you on this. Is it an overreaction to say that Ferrari would be leading the Constructors' Championship if it wasn't for their strategy and reliability issues? When you say and, it's not an overreaction. If you change it to or, then it is because... They have a lot of strategy issues and a lot of reliability issues. Fix both of them. And yeah, you're winning every race pretty much, maybe losing one or two, Um, maybe more than that, but it's close. It's really close. And you've got drivers who are capable of putting the cars there who make very few errors, Um, but they have reliability issues and strategy issues. It's cost them tens of points each of the they i would say i would say if you bucket them and i i can't i haven't counted out so i don't know i i bet strategy has cost them maybe 20 30 points and i bet reliability has cost them 40 50 points that's that's almost 80 points that they're losing to red bull by so yeah yep Yep. I'm with you. It's not an overreaction, especially when you're putting those together. I think if we're, if we're going to throw out a scenario, right, let's pretend that Red Bull and Ferrari have the exact same reliability. You're still dealing with these strategy problems that are setting them so, so, so far back. And it's, it's hard to watch. Like Nico Rosberg, everybody on the broadcast today was talking about Ferrari being stupid on live television. That's not something that Ferrari people want to be hearing. Um, usually broadcasters are a little bit more magnanimous and, and maybe a little bit more uh, generous in, in contrast to the criticism that Ferrari has gotten. So it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, I, think, I think they have had the faster car throughout all of this season, not at every race, but if we're, you know, summing total parts here i think ferrari has been faster um and charles leclerc has seven out of 12 poles on the season obviously that doesn't mean he should have seven out of 12 wins but like come on it should be more than what he has so far no my whole point of asking this question of is it overreaction is that i was trying to prove something that 
I figured you guys already agreed with the new is that Ferrari has the drivers and they have the, the speed, shall we say, right? They've, they have the design with the car that can get them there. They just struggle to keep that car up and running all the time. And they struggle to have the right strategy to put the drivers in the correct positions. So giving Leclerc and Sainz their prop with this overreaction. Going down the list, the next thing I wanted to talk about, we mentioned Ocon bumping out, taking Yuki Sonoda out of the race, essentially, right? He got his five-second penalty for it. But on the other end of that incident, you have a guy having to retire, not being able to finish the race, not being able to do his job, do what he loves, have a real shot at getting points for his team. And we've seen this happen a few other races. George Russell did it to Checo, I think, last week in Austria, or two weeks ago in Austria. Pierre Gasly had a couple incidences where these guys are getting five-second penalties for crashes that force the other driver to have to retire because they have a hole in their side of the car or they have something else wrong with the car that stems from the incident. Is it is no reaction say penalties should be harsher depending upon the damage done to the other driver in his car? Noah, what do you think about that? So I wish it wasn't an overreaction uh, because in my head, I want to punish drivers when they punish another driver's race. And it's someone who's clearly at fault, but you can't wait for someone to retire the car to, to assess a penalty, unfortunately. Um, because yeah, I think Alcon deserved a bigger penalty here. But at the same time, that's me being emotional about Yuki having to retire the car. If I'm Alpha Tauri, I'm incredibly angry. I am furious. If I'm Sergio Perez last week, I'm furious. But it's tough. I I, I think maybe what, what the FIA needs to start doing, and I'm going to change the overreaction a little bit, is these racing incidents that cause accidents and someone's clearly at fault up the penalty to 10 seconds up the 10 penalty to 10 seconds you're telling me that it's the same penalty for someone to receive if they exceed track limits four times as it is for literally crashing their car into someone else that doesn't make sense to me and so i'm going to change it to these penalties need to be 10 seconds that should be a blanket it doesn't have to be subjective on on damage that that's my take i think that's a fair one i i i think when you you know when you put it in the terms of yeah it's the same penalty as exceeding track limits four times that's pretty glaring um and at 10 seconds is a lot in any race but so is making another driver retire from the race again esteban alcon esti bestie is my favorite driver uh, he did wrong this race. <laughs> we f- all feel bad for Yuki and, and, uh, and he deserved a better day because he, he really was putting on a strong weekend before that happened. And so it's unfortunate. I think one thing that we do have to call out with that is, um, is consistency. The FIA can't make this decision tomorrow. They have to wait till the end of the season to make any rule changes. And I think if they want to make that rule change to be, if it is a clear infringement of the rules, if a driver is, if one driver is clearly at fault for a collision, then it means a 10 cent second time penalty. Um, it doesn't, you know, like you said, there's no way to retroactively look at the severity of damages and, and retroactively talk about retirements and say, Oh, now we need to up the penalty. Um, but it's, it's a hard thing. There is the additional penalty of getting two penalty points on your license. Again, I know we've said it in other podcasts, but just as a reminder, if any driver gets more than 12 penalty points on their license within a calendar year. So when I say calendar year, let's say Esteban Alcon has 10 penalty points today. If he has more than 12 um, at the time of today. So July 24th, 2023, he has to miss a race. These points expire once they, um, once they reach that next date in the calendar year. Um, so a lot of times it doesn't actually hurt anybody. Um, but maybe, maybe that's the fix too. Maybe we need to make, their, make it a, 
smaller margin for penalty points and actually missing a race um, because it's not fair to Yuki. You're right. Yeah. My only note on the penalty points is there are not enough people on this planet who can drive formula one cars for that to be okay. Like it'll get close. If they change it marginally, maybe that's the fix. Maybe you're onto something. But there are few people who are allowed to slash can drive these cars. Oh, no, I'm not talking about they, the team has to go and pull in their reserve driver. They just have to sit out. They have oh. to sit out a car. Ooh, that'd be wild. That, that's the alternative. What? This is, this is an interesting conversation because going to 10 seconds changes it. Like we're watching pit stops to where if they do, if it takes them four seconds to change the tires, we're like, that changes their race. That changes what can be done for that car. So five seconds already is, you know, a relatively harsh penalty. I know it's different when we're talking about guys who have speeds with their cars or gets into these gaps on the grid to where they're, you know, five seconds ahead, the guy behind them and 10 seconds behind the one in front of them or something like that. Maybe there's a middle ground between five and 10. I don't want to get nitpicky with it. I got, I like the point of adding more penalty points, but maybe not removing the driver if that was the thing adding the case of giving the reserve driver the opportunity don't want to continue to add rules just for the sake of adding rules maybe there's the thing where within a formula one season if you, you know if you directly cause three or more drivers to retire at different races then you're at fault right so essentially just three incidences because there are going to be times where multiple drivers have to retire from one incident don't want to penalize the driver for all of those kind of deal and treat it as one crash. But the idea of you've done this four times, you're a repeat offender ideology there. Maybe that's a thing. Yeah. But I mean, it, it it's yeah. like it, how it is in the, in the NFL. If you start causing more head injuries, as you continue to tack these up and the same thing with unsportsmanlike in, injuries, as you continue to tack them up, the fines get bigger. So maybe not fines because that's these guys are, you know, uber wealthy, but, um, but yeah, it, that's a, that's another good concept to bring into it all. I think that does it for our reactions. Something else that I'll just kind of say is a blanketed statement and see how much you guys bite or not is I think at least in the States here in the U S we need updated coverage. I know we have a lot of international listeners and their coverage may be different than what we're getting, but we need some new coverage updated. They need to make something different happen. And I don't think they need to, they should wait till the next season of formula one implement these changes come summer break. Give us a, a double box, triple box. What I mean is show multiple screens at once. Cause battles and overtakes are happening at the same time. I get, you don't want to cut away the cut the camera away from the Red Bull and Ferraris of the world. But please, I, I want to see how Kevin Magnuson jumped, you know, seven, six places at the start of the race. I want to see how Esteban Ocon overtook Daniel Cart. Like, I want to see all these different things that we just don't get the opportunity to see throughout the race because the cameras and the announcers are so enamored and focused with just the top two to four cars on the grid. And the answer isn't paywalling. Uh, the answer isn't introducing paywalled coverage I, I, it's guy answer, Q plus yeah the answer is just doing a better job like that, 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 yeah that, there, i don't have anything more to say on it it's frustrating almost every single race we watch we, we're missing something um and that shouldn't be the case when we're only getting a race at, at best once every weekend preach it <laughs> agreed agreed Lance, you have any more overreactions or are we good to jump into our closing thoughts? I think we're good to jump into our closing thoughts. And I, I can get us started on just a couple of things that I'm thinking is bit of a, a bit of a sad race here for some of these teams, such as Alfa Romeo. I know, Noe, I think you were saying Botas was going to get into Q3. Maybe that was your take. That certainly uh, d- did not happen. Joe... Did not have a good race either. He had his retirement, I think it was. Just very unfortunate for them, not feeling great. Haas 
had a great Saturday. Loved seeing Kevin Magnuson make it into Q3. Unfortunately, he had to start at the back of the grid. Mick came down back to earth, I shall we say, after the last couple weeks of success. That those are some of the other takeaways that I'm thinking about. Tanner, do you have anything? Um, no, Alfa Romeo was honestly mine too. I think it's an interesting co- uh, conversation to have with the lower midfield right now because, I mean, all, all jokes aside, Aston Martin was the quickest car in the lower midfield this weekend, um, at least on race day, and that's surprising. That's always going to be surprising. Um tough to see Botas so slow. I think one thing we also want to stress with Joe Guan Yu, uh, he did the same thing Ocon did. He caused somebody to retire. That was Kevin Magnuson. Um, and ultimately he had to retire himself. So he got his five second penalty and he took two penalty points. So Joe Guan Yu, another one who's, um, who's having some issues with, uh, with hitting other cars. So another thing to bring into it all, I think, it's interesting. Haas was really fast, or at least Kevin Magnuson was on Saturday. And so it gives me hope that for the rest of the season, we might see Haas as the sixth fastest car on the grid. And that's exciting. That's that's just always going to be exciting. It's fun to see Haas do well. Yeah, agreed. It, it is fun to see Haas do well. We saw K-Mag super fast on Saturday. Uh, knew he was going to start from the back of the grid. So unfortunate for him. Mick was kind of bad. Alfa Romeo was just as a whole really slow. Their qualifying pace was eh, it was fine. It wasn't good. Uh, And then their race pace was really slow, probably the slowest of the bunch, even slower than Williams. Um, I don't remember Kevin Magnuson wrecking with Joe Guan Yu. Did Joe wreck with Latifi instead then? I I might have. K-Mag was with Latifi. Um, And I think that's why Joe just retired the car. I think it was a power unit issue. No, but he got two penalty points also and a five-second oh. time penalty for hitting somebody. But now I'm losing it. Did he hit Mick? He might have hit. I don't know. Now now I'm He hit somebody. I think, Mick, I think he hit Mick, but anyway. Okay, yeah, I think he hit Mick. Uh, but K-Mag hit Latifi, which was funny. It was like Latifi was faster than K-Mag at the moment, uh, which was wild. But, um, but yeah. Really weird from the lower midfield this race. Uh, a lot of a lot of things to unpack. Williams not looking like the slowest car, genuinely, um, which was interesting. But yeah, forgettable from Alfa Romeo. It 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 might our highs on their team might be going down for the rest of the year. The last few races have been pretty bad from, or the last two races have been pretty bad from them, and seem to be trending downward. Haas, at least K-Mag, should pick it up next race, next week in Hungary. Um, and Williams seems to have a decent upgrade package. So does Aston Martin. So it should be interesting. Yeah. The, the other thing I want to call out with Haas, uh, and Max Verstappen was the only other driver on the grid to do it. Uh, all of these three drivers, Mick Schumacher, Kevin Magnussen, and Max, were under an aggressive two-stop strategy for this race where everybody else was basically playing the one-stop and performed a one-stop. Those three drivers started on the mediums, started really well because they were on the mediums, had to pit early, uh, and then Haas really kind of got hard done by by the safety car under Charles Leclerc. Uh, So another interesting thing about this race. Yeah, now those are some good points. The midfield battle, I think, is still going to be very exciting through the rest of the year. This next Grand Prix is going to play a big factor to uh, see if see if Leclerc can bounce back, see if Mercedes is still going to be fighting for podiums with, you know, no, no penalties being taken by Ferrari and hopefully no retirements done by Ferrari. Will Mercedes still be as competitive at the top? McLaren and Alpine the rest of the way in the midfield and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to things. The French Grand Prix, it was exciting. It gave us a lot of storylines. It was a major impact on this season. Maybe we'll look at it as an inflection point at the end of the year and be like, wow, that is when Red Bull truly ran away with it. Or this was the point where Mercedes made ground. Or this is where Alpine jumped McLaren and didn't look back. Who knows? Yeah, and I have one more final closing thought on the French Grand Prix as a whole. I'm so mixed on it. I think it's pretty good racing, 
but it doesn't look like a Grand Prix. It it's not a it's not an appealing track to the eye. It it kind of is, is hard to look at with all the blue and white and red stripes everywhere. Um, it just kind of looks like a testing track, which is what it was for a little bit. And 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 so good racing, competitive racing, but. I, I don't know if I love it on the F1 calendar when there are other cities that could potentially use a race since it's just, it, it, it doesn't match the, um, the, the grandeur of, of some of the other tracks and not all of them have to be that high up, but this one's pretty low. Well, I don't think you're going to have to, to worry about it for very much longer. There's not a good chance that we'll see this on the schedule for next year, um, which in my opinion is sad. I, I think there needs to be a Grand Prix in France. I, being one of the F1 capitals of the world, I, th I think True. there has to be a race in France. Uh, but sadly, I don't think that there is going to be one next year because of um, all the other tracks that are coming into the into fray, uh, Miami to name one. So it's sad. I see where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, I don't think you'll have to, to sit on that thought for very long. Just a cooler French track is all I'm asking for. Just rate, let them race at Le Mans again. That's, that's all we need. Exactly. Those are good points. Mixed feelings. I think that is probably how most Formula One fans would describe. I think it's a polarizing race, a polarizing track. Some people really hate it. Some people try to try to be defenders of it and say it's not that bad. Look at how many overtakes happen here compared to other races. So I think mixed is a well uh, descri well description for it. Anyway, this was our coverage of the French Grand Prix. Really exciting. We'll be back early the start of this week at some point with a preview of the Hungarian Grand Prix, our last race before going into summer break. Always fun to race down in Budapest. We'll be really exciting to see how these cars bounce back with only a week to turn things around. Our preview of the French Grand Prix is available. So if you haven't checked it out and you want to hear what our thoughts were going into this and hear how wrong some of our takes were when it comes to podium and qualifying predictions, that is available. If you enjoyed this and you'd like to help support the podcast, share it with others. Tell a friend about it. If you want someone to get into Formula One, we have a Formula One crash course that can bring them in and you can have someone to talk this with. That's the best way to help us out and is a way for you to build a community around this sport and around this podcast. Leave a rating. Give us that five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at F1 Wheel to Wheel. And that's the checkered flag for today. We'll see you next time on the Wheel to Wheel F1 podcast. Mm -hmm.